One of you gave me a cold last week. I don't know which one it is. I'm not pointing any fingers at Rod. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so let me ask, how many of you have uh, an iOS device, an iPhone, an iPad, a, uh, what's the other, an Android phone? A how many of you got? Yeah, okay. How many have some apps you like? Apps? Right? Okay. So I got an iPad. That was like a com- combined birthday, birthday, Christmas, Christmas, uh, living 50 years gift. And um, I've got some apps on it that I really like. Um, like, for instance, and this is kind of like, I, I like my... I like my weather app a lot. Uh, I get up every morning and look at what the weather's like in, in Palm Desert, California. <laughs> so my parents live, but it just, you know, if I don't look outside, then I don't know. And I figure everything's pretty cool. Uh, mail, I like to get my mail because, you know, just you can't get too much mail anywhere, everywhere you go. And uh, so I like to get my mail. Um, Facebook, anyone do Facebook on there, right? So that, that's pretty cool. Um, it's nice to see because I couldn't get through the day if I didn't know what you had for breakfast. Um, I got like three Bible apps that I really, really like. This is, this is my favorite. I like this one because I can just press on a word and it'll tell me the Hebrew or the Greek form. And I can look at cross references and all that kind of stuff. I know a lot of you got some good Bibles. Uh, I really like this. So this is my really spiritual right after my Bible. So this is for our cable television. And actually, the, what makes this app really fun is to get it and don't tell your family. And then um, they're all watching a TV show and I can change the channels with this. So I like go in the next room and they're watching like a really intense, you know, documentary and I'll change it to SpongeBob. And then they're all like, who did that? I got away with it about three or four times. It was super, super fun. But now it's kind of worn off. I don't know what this is. I, I think one of my kids put it on. Um, now, this is my favorite all-time app. Um, I have this on my iPad, and I've got it on my computer. Anybody uh, familiar with uh, getting things done? Anyone at all? Oh, God bless you. Yes, yes. Now, I love getting things done. It's kind of a system for organizing your life, and this is, a, this is called OmniFocus. And it's a program that I use to... Uh, help keep track of everything that I'm doing and every part of my life and break it down into projects and the little 10 minute sections. And I use it for putting sermons together and organizing my life and remembering to take out the trash and all that kind of stuff. And I love this program. It's like the best app ever, ever, ever made, except it just has, there's just one problem with it. I can map out all of my projects, but it won't actually do any of them for me. I, I have to do all of them myself. And uh, that's one of the problem with apps that we have with our devices is they, they do all, you know, they're kind of fun to look at and we've got calendars and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to actually doing stuff, our apps don't actually really do anything for us. And we're starting a series this weekend called Life Apps. And we're going to talk about some very specific applications in Scripture for believers. And um, these apps, just right off the top, I want to make this very clear. We are, we're not talking about um, applying the Bible to our life so that we can earn salvation, so that we can earn merit with God, so that we can, you know, somehow become righteous in God's sight. That is not at all what we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks. We're not talking about how to earn new life in Jesus. We're talking about how we live because, because we have new life in Jesus. So we're going to be talking about not just, not just knowing Jesus, but 
I would say following the person of Jesus. What does that mean to follow him and, and his teaching? And today we're going to start off with just kind of a, uh, just a topic to get us started as we approach the Bible. And this is going to be our big idea for the weekend. And that is that the Bible is not just something to know. Or as James is going to say, it's not just something to read or to listen to. It's something to apply to our lives. And there are two people who really camped out big time on this issue. Um, Jesus, as you would probably guess, and his brother, uh, James. James was his brother by their mother, but not by their father, of course. Um, but James was the brother of Jesus. And I mean, you can just imagine, we've talked before about how interesting that would have been to have been, you know, the kid brother of Jesus and all the stories you could have told, that, you know, when you got together with people and and uh, the fact that James became a follower of Jesus Christ says a lot about Jesus. Because, I mean, you can imagine what would it have taken for your younger brother to, or for your older brother to convince you that he was God or God's son? Exactly, probably nothing. And, and uh, we think probably that James wasn't believing in Jesus until after his death and resurrection. But it says a lot about Jesus that his brother came to believe in him as the son of God. And uh, we're going to be reading in James this evening. In James chapter 1 verse 22, James writes this for us. He says, do not merely, in fact, would you read this with me? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So now this is written about 2,000 years ago and, and it was obviously relevant for the crowd that James is writing to and yet so incredibly relevant for us today. And, and the warning that James has for us is that we can have this tendency to turn Bible listening or Bible reading into an exercise that is an end unto itself where we merely listen to a sermon or we merely read the Bible or do our devotions and then that's it. And James says the problem with that is you end up being self-deceived. And I would guess that this probably happens every weekend at probably every church. Because in our culture, like I think 2,000 years ago, there's a tendency for people to think, you know, well, if I just go to church, then I probably get credit with God, right? I mean, if I just bother to change my schedule and, and go to church, God probably sees me in church and looks down and goes, oh man, he's in church today, you know? He gets a gold star, that's, that's good for him. Or, oh, look at, she's taking notes on the sermon. So, you know, her kids will be obedient tomorrow morning. Wouldn't that be great? Or, oh, he stayed awake for the whole sermon, so his hair's gonna grow back, you know? Or, or you know, where God looks down and he's just so desperate. He's like, I'm just so, I'm just so happy that they're in the building. That's all I really cared about, you know? Or, or he listened to, 50% of the sermon and he only checked his Facebook and, and Twitter account like half of the sermon. So, you know, that's good. Or, you know, sometimes we think just coming and just being here and just listening to a sermon or just reading the Bible, like that's it. That's all God really wanted. He's good with that. Or here's what we do in the church. Uh, I think in a lot of evangelical churches today, here's like the really big one. We, we feel like we've accomplished something if we come and we listen to a sermon and then we feel really guilty when it's over. Like, I don't know if you ever do that. Like, I come and listen to a sermon, then I feel like a complete loser. Like, I'm a loser as a husband or I'm a loser as a father or just a loser as a Christian. And there's something about that that makes us feel like it was a real religious experience. Because sometimes I'll have people leave and they'll be like, oh, thanks, pastor. I feel really terrible about myself now. So I know, you know, God's probably looking down from heaven and going, that was it. That was the whole point. Just go to church and feel terrible about yourself. And, you know, that's all I really want from you. And, and, and the danger is that we start to think that God's end game with the Bible is that we just, we merely listen to it. Or 
we just read the word and James says, when that's what you do and that's all you do, you have deceived yourself. Where you say, well, you know, I'm a Christ follower and I'm indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. James says, but you know, you don't talk any different. Uh, you, 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 you have no more integrity at work than you did before. You, you don't study as a student any harder. You don't take it any more seriously than a non-Christian. You, you cheat just like unbelievers and you look at stuff you shouldn't look at just like unbelievers and you abuse substances just like other, uh, you know, like unbelievers. And James says, when, when that characterizes your life, when, when the only thing that makes you different is you listen to the Bible or you read the Bible, but it, it's not making a difference in your life, James says that's, that's a problem. And so he says, don't merely listen to the word and, and so deceive yourselves. Notice what he says. Read that with me. He says, do what it says. Let's read that again. Do what it says. Now I know that sounds a like, oh man, if I start, you know, if I start doing what the Bible says and, you know, that's going to really complicate my life and I'm going to have to start thinking about the Bible and I'm going to have to start studying and examining. I might have to memorize some things and, you know, I might have to be held accountable for it. And James says, yeah, he says, listen, I, I want you to not just merely listen. Don't, don't merely do that. He says, when, when you read it, I want you to engage with it. I want you to, I want you to ask questions. What does this mean? This thing that I don't understand, you know, don't just gloss over it. Ask, what does it mean? Discuss it with spiritual, with spiritual people. And then do what the Bible says. That's, that's the end game here. That when we read the Bible, we'd ask a couple of questions. When we read the Bible, we'd always ask, first thing when we read anything is, what does this teach me about God? Because it's all connected to God in some way. And so whenever we read any passage of the Bible, whenever we hear a sermon, we should always ask ourselves, what is this teaching me about God? And secondly, how does God want me to use this in my own life? And so James gives us an illustration of what it looks like on the negative side. He says this in verse 23. Now, anyone who just listens to the word, and by the way, when, he, when he's talking about listening, back in, in, in that day, nobody who uh, would have been listening to this would have had a, you didn't have a Bible back then. They didn't have a New Testament yet. So he's, he's talking about listening because people would gather together and someone would teach them. But we could just as well today, insert the word read in there. As we're listening to a sermon, as we're reading our Bibles, we're doing our daily devotionals, as we're reading through the Bible in a year or whatever it is. In fact, that's really describing everyone. He's describing all of us right now. We're all sitting here and we're all listening. At least I think we're all sitting here and listening. And he says, and, and after, look at himself. So let me go back there. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. So he's given us this picture here. And after looking at himself in the mirror, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, today, we have a little bit of an advantage because we, have, we actually have glass mirrors in which we can see a lot of detail, probably too much detail. But, but back then, they didn't have mirrors like we have today. Uh, you might have a piece of uh, polished metal or, or bronze or tin, and you could kind of get a reflection. A big practice back then was you would take a bucket of water in the morning, and you'd go out, go out into the sunlight, and you would, you would peer into the water, and you would look at yourself and, and see what you look like, and then you'd take and... and and wash yourself up, but you couldn't see very well. You could probably see better. Actually, when I read this, it made me think of um, when I was a kid, I started wearing glasses when I was in the fourth grade. And I don't know what happened, but man, when my eyes went bad, they just went really bad. And so um, I would I wore glasses from the fourth grade on. And, and an awkward time was always going to uh, the barbershop 
And for any of you who wear glasses, and you know what I'm talking about, so you go to the barbershop, and then they can't cut your hair with your glasses on, so they take your glasses off, and they put them there, and then they, you know, start cutting my hair. And they would always ask, like, how does that look? And I always felt like a little bit self-conscious about going, you know, I don't know, I'm blind, and so I need my glasses, but I felt awkward about that, so I, w- I would just always look. I c- couldn't see anything. It was just a big blur, and I would just look and go, it looks great. And so they keep cutting, and that actually explains how, like, in the sixth grade, I got one, one time that the barber was like, oh, you know, let's, it's summertime, let's cut, and he apparently cut a lot off and, and asked how it looked, and I said, uh, you know, it looks fine. And then I put my glasses on and, and I had like no hair. I had no idea. I was horrified. I, and I didn't know I was looking at my future. I just, I was like looking and going, actually explained how one time, no kidding, my mom had a, had this guy who cut her hair named Anthony and she decided I needed to go see him. And I ended up with a perm. It's a true story, but I just, um, but that's not what James, James is, so James is saying, it's like getting up in the morning and looking at your reflection, right, when you can actually see yourself, and you look in the mirror, and you see yourself in the morning, and you're like, oh boy, right? You ever do that? Like, you look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, oh man, look at that, and, and you know, it's like thinking, oh, I, you know, I gotta wash my face and take a shower, and then, um, like, the phone rings, and I forget completely about it, and answer the phone, and then I just go through my day, and then I come, you know, it's like coming to work, and you know, I don't know, Pastor Bill says, hey, did you, you know, did you shower today? And, and it'd be like, well, well no, you know, I'm actually, I thought about it. I meant to, I was going to, but I just didn't get around to it. You know, you should really pray for me, Bill. Pray that I would take a shower, you know, and, and it's just really been a problem and I could use some accountability. And James is like, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like a person who looks in the mirror and sees what a, you know, the kind of that, oh boy moment, you know, and you know, I need to do something about that. And then turning around and doing nothing about it at all. James is picturing spiritually a person who, who listens to the word of God. And, and when they hear the word of God, they kind of have that oh boy moment, you know, where they look in the mirror of God's word and they think, oh, I need to change that or I need to do that or I need to, you know, uh, stop doing that, whatever it is. And then when the sermon's over, or the devotional's over, we just walk away and we don't do anything about it at all. And James says there's this danger that we might be more committed to fixing what's in the physical mirror than to fixing what's in our our heart that the word of God reveals. I mean, you just think about all the time and money that we as Americans spend on that oh boy situation in the morning, right? I mean, you go in your bathroom, look at all the stuff on the counter and all the stuff that you plug in and all the stuff in the shower. And some of you have like, oh boy, bags that you take when you travel in case you have that oh boy moment. Or some of you probably have it in your glove box in your car because you have oh boy moments when you look in the mirror. And we're just, we're super committed to making sure that what we see in the mirror gets fixed and looks at least, you know, halfway decent. But when it comes to the Bible, the danger is that we listen to it and then that, that's all we do. We never change anything. And James says, you have to understand that, that that's deception. You're deceiving yourself into thinking that, that that's good enough. It's like holding God's word up to your heart. You know, reading what he says about life, about morality, about the words that you speak or the way you do relationships or marriage or, or how you treat your kids or how you should honor your parents or handle yourself at work or what, whatever it is. And we, we read the word, we hear a sermon on the word, we take a few notes, we feel a little guilty and you know, we kind of think, oh man, I, gotta, I should really do something about that, but I'm not actually going to do anything about it. 
I'm just going to leave church tonight going, well, that was good and I feel a little guilty now and that's probably enough. And, you know, when you think about it, probably a lot of us have been carrying around stuff for years. You know, some of the same old habits and overindulgences and lack of discipline. And every time it comes up and you hear another sermon, you're like, oh, I should really do that. And, you know, every time you, 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 you read about it in the Bible and you're like, oh, that's right, I was going to get around to that. And maybe you even feel a little closer to God because you feel guilty about that again. And you you're just so honest and transparent about it, you know, and you even tell your friends, yeah, I've heard like eight sermons on that. Haven't done anything at all, but I feel guilty about it, you know, and James is just like standing there going, oh, brother, you're so deceived. You, you need to apply the word of God. You need to apply it to your life. You know, as a pastor, I've heard, I've heard so many stories over the years of, of people who at some point in their life, you know, um, they, they looked great on the outside. They tell me stories about they made, they never looked better on the outside, but not on the inside. And it resulted in tons of regret in their life because all of their attention was going to, to hear, but nothing to hear. And they made some bad decisions. James goes on and he says this now, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but notice again, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He's talking about looking intently in the mirror. Some of you have an intently mirror in your bathroom. It's one of those magnifying mirrors, you know, where like you can look all the way up your nose into your brain, you know, and like everything's like, why would you want one of those? But you've got, because you're, you're so committed you're so committed to how you look that when you get up in the morning and you get in front of the mirror, your commitment is, I'm not leaving this place until everything looks just right. And James says, you know, you need to do that with the word of God. Not again, just, you know, coming and, oh, well, the sermon's over and the, the devotional's over. Now I can just move on. I can just check that box because the whole point was just listening. The whole point was just reading. So he talks about intently looking at this. He refers to it as, notice, uh, he calls it the perfect law, which I love. And again, he's talking about the Bible. And, and in this case, James is talking about the Old Testament. And there would have been some of the teachings of Jesus that were being recorded, put, put down in the Gospels. And they were pieces that were floating around. And some of the writings of Paul, um, eventually what, what we would refer to as the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, and he refers to it as the perfect law. Notice the perfect law that gives freedom, which I really love because I think a lot of people would say with, that when they read the Bible and all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots and do this and don't do this, it doesn't always feel like freedom. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think, actually it feels like a prison. It feels like very restrictive or we read the Bible sometimes and we're like, it's just kind of like, you know, ruining all our ability to have fun in life. In fact, another translation puts it this way. It calls it the law of liberty, which as I read it this week, I'm like, I love that, that description of the scripture, the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, I, I've told you this before, but I, I became a Christian as a freshman in high school, and I started going to a church, and it was a church where they just, they did not apologize for teaching the scripture as it applied to my life. And, and the youth pastor, 
oh, would talk all the time about sex and sexuality, which I'm sure our youth pastor doesn't do. He probably never talks about that. But our youth pastor would talk about sex and sexuality all the time. And, you know, some parents would get really upset because the youth pastor is talking about sex and sexuality and just saying those words all the time, you know, and just sex and sexuality and just kept driving it home, you know. And, you know, and, and it, I, I think a lot of times when you're young and you hear all that talk, like, you know, sex is for marriage, that it feels kind of confining, possibly, because, you know, when you're 15 or 16, you're, you know, you're, you're either thinking, well, I'm never going to get married, you know, who's going to marry this? Or, um, you know, I, I'm, I, maybe I'll get married, but it's so long from now, I'll probably be so old and decrepit, who will care anyways about that? But it just, a lot of times, I think it feels confining, it feels so, so far away, but my youth pastor kept driving home that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it would just drive that home, that we need to be careful about what we do with our bodies, because there are consequences for what we do, either good or bad. And, and I grew up in a society in Southern California where there was so, there was so much alcohol and there were so many drugs around and there was so much pot around and there was so much sleeping around going on in the high school I was at that it, w- it would have been very easy to be involved. In fact, I'm, the, the basic rules that I grew up with were when it comes to sex, just don't get anyone pregnant. That was the thing that was really driven home. We don't care what you do, just don't get anyone pregnant. And, um, and if you drink, you know, just don't drive. And that was pretty much it. And when I was growing up, it would have been easy to be involved in any of those things. And my parents wouldn't know. My family wouldn't know. My friends wouldn't know, wouldn't care because it was just such a pervasive part of society. And, and I had a lot of friends who thought, even who were Christians, who would just get so tired of all the talk and the teaching about our, our bodies being the Holy, uh, temple of the Holy Spirit and thought it was so confining. But I got to tell you, uh, frankly, I thought that believing that and adhering to that actually made life a lot easier. Because I had so many friends who would just be like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't, you know, she likes me. I wonder if I should have sex. You know, I don't know. And they were like all stressed about it. Or, you know, they're having alcohol at the party and I don't know if I should drink or not. You know, never mind. I'm only 16 years old and it's against the law. But I don't know. That guy's offering me some pot. I don't know. And I had so many friends who were Christians, who were raised in Christian homes, who were going to church and being taught this all the time. And quite frankly, they were so stressed out because they kept getting in situations and having these things come up and I don't know if I should or I don't know if I shouldn't and I don't know I was just maybe I was just very naive but when I became a Christian my my pastor taught me you don't do these things and I don't know I believed him and life wasn't very stressful because when I got in a situation and any of these things were offered I would always think well you don't do that because your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and all my friends were stressed out but I thought life was pretty simple see because when you've pre-decided when you've decided ahead of time that you're going to do whatever God asks you to do, it makes life pretty simple, actually. So for me to look back, you know, I look back and go, yeah, God's word does give you freedom. There is freedom there. And I'm so thankful for the people in my life who taught me those things because it resulted in my freedom. As opposed to discussion I have with, with many full-grown adults today, Christians, who will tell me, you know, say things like, man, if I could go back to when I was a you know, teenager and I, if I could go back and do that night over again or do that weekend over again or make that decision over again, uh, that sexual decision, that alcohol decision, whatever it was, people, full-grown adults would say, if I could go back now and do it over again, I would do it differently because I see it differently. 
Having made a bad decision, having gone against what God's word taught, I've learned the hard way that in fact, God actually knows what he's talking about. Shocking. And when he says it results in freedom, surprise, he actually meant it. And it's actually true. See, the Bible's not a downer. The Bible's not, you know, trying to just, oh, just ruin all our fun. The Bible reveals to us what is freedom giving, what brings liberty in life. Man, when I was in high school, I was taught, you know, when people sin against you, eventually you're going to have to forgive them, you know? And a lot of times when somebody sins against you, it doesn't always feel like freedom, does it? To go, well, they sinned against me and, you know, and then I have to forgive them for it. It doesn't always feel like, you know, freedom when someone hurts me and then I have to let them off the hook. But on the other hand, if you've ever been a slave to anger, have you ever been a a slave to resentment? Has that worked out really well? Has that, does it feel like freedom when you're seething all the time? And you, does it feel like freedom when you're waiting for that person to come back and grovel and, and ask forgiveness? Does that sound like freedom? It never is. Freedom is found in the non-intuitive exercise of deciding to forgive as you've been forgiven. I've been a Christian long enough to discover that James, James is right. There is actually, there's not liberty in just reading the word. There's not liberty in just hearing a sermon about applying the word. There's liberty in actually applying the word of God to our lives. And he says this, and, and to continue in it and not forgetting what they have heard. In other words, it's the idea that I'm going to look at my Bible and I'm going to keep looking at it and I feel guilty, but I'm going to keep looking at it and thinking about it and praying about it and studying it. I feel convicted, but I'm going to hang in there and I'm not going to take my eyes off the mirror of God's word in any particular area until I do something about it. And then notice what he says. And they will be, I love this, they will be blessed in what they do. See, application is what makes a difference. Not just hearing, He doesn't say, you're going to be blessed if you just hear the word. You're going to be blessed if you take a few notes, if you write a few things down, if you do a devotion, if you feel convicted, if you leave going, I feel terrible about myself. No, he says, you'll be blessed when you apply the word of God to your life. At the end of Jesus' most famous sermon of all, the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that we could, you know, I'm sure we could study our, our entire lives And never get fully done applying that. But at the end of that that amazing sermon, Jesus kind of wraps it up this way. He tells the story. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, notice, and he says, and who puts them into, into what? Practice, right? Whoever does them. He says, here's what you're like. You're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He talks about practicing, about doing the word of God. He doesn't just get to the end of a sermon on the mountain and go, well, you've all put up with it. I mean, it took me a while to preach this sermon and I know you're all hungry, so go home and God will give you points. He says, no, here's the point. Now I want you to do this stuff. Now I want you to apply this stuff to your life. Not everyone who just listens and takes notes and comes back for part two, but everyone who puts it into practice. He says, when you do it, it's like building your house on rock. I don't know if you've ever tried to build a house on rock. I haven't. Uh, but I've tried to, to dig in ground that was like rock, you know. Uh, you know it, I don't know if you've, ever, it's, if you've ever dug a hole in sand. Pretty easy. But you dig a hole in sand and try to put a footing for a house in there and it's not really going to work. You dig down in some good solid soil 
or you, or you get some footing in rock. And that's the kind of thing that, 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 that sticks. It, of course, it's harder. It's always harder to build in rock than it is in sand. You know, it's, a, it's, it's more difficult sometimes to build your, your life on the word of God as opposed to the current of our culture that's just always just trying to suck you along and get you to do the easy thing, so to speak, regardless of what the long-term ramifications are. Our society will, will, will lead you to believe that it's a lot harder, you know, to stay sexually pure, um, to forgive people because that's not intuitive, to submit to authority, you know, to obey your parents, to not cheat, you know, because everyone else is doing it and how will I keep up or get ahead? It may seem hard at the outset, but God has promised that it will result in our freedom and in our blessing. He goes on, he says, and then, and then this is what it's like. You build your house on the sand, you build your house on the rock. Here's where it makes a difference. Because sometime the rain is going to come down. That's life. And most of you have lived long enough to know that's the way it is. The sun isn't always shining in life, so to speak. Life has its storms. Life has its rain, right? We know that. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against the house. They'll beat against your life. At some point, the decisions that you've made and the life that you've built is going to be tested and things are going to come up against it. And you know as well as I do that some lives stand and some lives don't. Some people end up that they're just li- their lives disintegrate and the house falls down. Why does that happen? He says, here's why. He says, for some, the storm's going to come and yet the house will not fall because it is, its foundation is on the rock. It's based in Jesus and his teaching in the word of God. So over the next six weeks, we're going to look at some very specific applications of scripture to our lives. Things that as a pastor I've seen over the years are pretty big. And the consequences of whether we apply them or not are pretty huge on our life. And my prayer is just that as we study these applications, that we will stare at them with the kind of intentionality that James talks about. That we won't just hear a sermon and go on our way. That we'll refuse to quit looking at that topic and staring at that topic and thinking about that topic and praying about that topic until we begin to apply it to our own lives. Because if that's what we'll do, then we're going to be blessed in what we do. And I would just ask you this question, where could you use some blessing right now in your life? Maybe you could use some relational blessing right now. Maybe you could use some, some financial blessing. Maybe you could use some, some blessing in your thinking, in your attitude. Maybe it's just in your self-image and the way that what you see when you look in the mirror. You could use some blessing there. You could, you could use some of God's direction in that. Maybe you need blessing in your schedule and all the responsibilities you have or your studies or your job or whatever it is. How do we get to that place of blessing? Jesus says, here's how you do it. You listen to my word. You read my word. You intently look at my word. You stare at it. You stare at it. You stare at it. You think about it. You pray about it. And then you apply it. And that's when you get blessed. And my question for you would be this. See, I'm, I'm guessing that if you're like me and like most people I talk to, there's probably something on your heart. You probably came in with it tonight. Something that you've read recently, 
some Bible study, some devotional, some sermon, something that you've read recently that you've listened to and God has put it on your heart and you've looked at it and you just kind of moved on your way and you haven't applied God's word to that area of your life yet. And my encouragement to you tonight would be this, whatever that is, whatever God has put on your heart right now, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to suggest what it is, but, but you probably know what it is because I know the spirit kind of works that way. God's always working on our heart. I would encourage you tonight to take a step tonight. In fact, I'm I'm guessing that probably some of you could take a step tonight before you even leave this room. There's something that you'll be able to do to apply the word of God and to begin to get in that habit of not just listening, but doing it so that you can be blessed. And I thought maybe a good way for us to wrap up our time together tonight would be to remember where all of this begins for us. Our ability to be here and talk about applying the word to our lives begins not with anything that we would do, but with something that God has done for us. And uh, the guys are going to come forward and they're going to serve the elements of communion. And uh, if you are here tonight and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in the work of Christ on the cross and what he did for you, then I would encourage you to join us tonight as we take communion together.